Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host. I'm glad that you are joining me today as I chat with Kim Curry. Now, in his past, he was a famous radio DJ. And then a diagnosis of MS completely changed his life. He's going to chat about the books that he's written, his journey with MS, and the cost of being disabled in America. So grab that cup of coffee, folks. Sit back, relax, and let's listen into the show. Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. This is Kim Langling, your host, and I am so happy and pleased that you are spending just a small part of your day with myself and my special guest today, Kim Curry. Actually, his name is pronounced Kimball. Kimber. Kimbrell. R-E-L. Okay. Let me just middle version of Kimberly. I'm just making up whatever his name is. So we're going to stick with Kim then. (laughs) I'm good. That'll work. Kim Curry is joining me today, folks. He is an author. He is a 33 with 33 years being a radio broadcaster. I definitely want to dig into that one. And also he is a gentleman who lives with multiple sclerosis and he was diagnosed with that at age 50. So we're going to delve into a lot of stuff today, but Kim, welcome so much to Let Fear Bounce. I've been looking forward to this conversation. Kim, thank you very much. Me too. Uh, I'm looking forward to the moments. Thank you very much for having me. The moments, and they're going to be special. Yes. <laughs> yes, they will. Well, once again, welcome to Let Fear Bounce. There's a lot going on. You've, you've done a lot, uh, not only in radio, but you're also a multi-published author. You've got three books out there. So I, actually, I want to jump on the books first, because being an author myself, I'm always fascinated by others who are authors and why they decided to write what they write. So share a little bit about your books and, and how that journey started for you. What made you want to, you know, hey, I'm going to write a book? Well, it really came down to after. First, I was on radio for 33 years. At the age of 50, I got diagnosed with MS. For eight years, MS really ripped me apart. Within a matter of two years, I ended up in a wheelchair, my vision loss. I've had a variety of different uh, changes in medicine, experimental medicines. And after eight years, my doctor decided he was going to change uh, the main multiple sclerosis medicine I was going to take. And when he did that, he also insisted I take uh, massive doses of vitamin D. Uh, he believes that the vitamin D has a connection to how the medicine, whatever, it's doctor stuff. But he, he insisted I take all like 30,000 IUs a day of vitamin D. After about six months, um, I noticed, my wife and I noticed that my condition had leveled off. I, I, I was not in pain as often. I wasn't having as many seizures and I was having muscle, muscle seizures constantly. The vision in my right eye, which comes and goes, wasn't coming and going as often. And over the next six months after that, my condition really leveled off. Uh, So after nine years of this MS thing, my condition leveled off enough to where I kind of had to reinvent myself because I really thought, I really thought I was gonna die. I was going down so fast that I thought I was in danger and I was scared for my wife, scared for my family. Um, But when everything leveled off, I had to go, wait a minute, now what do I do? And I had decided that I was going to tell my story, talk about the radio career, about the diagnosis, about the crazy things that happen to someone when they're diagnosed with a chronic disease, about how it costs to be disabled in America, all the serious parts about having MS, but then the funny things that happened to me too. And I decided to write this, write the memoir and tell this story. And, uh, And fortunately, because 
I have been in so many different radio markets in America. Uh, it, it caught on and uh, got to be number 11 in the Amazon radio broadcasting list. Howard Stern was number one. I got to be number 11. And it did pretty well for a while. And, and it's still a good story because it talks a lot about how it costs to be disabled in America. And I can get into that later. Uh, and then once I got finished writing that memoir, I was so juiced because, as you know, once you become an author and you start writing something and you really get going and I was... I was really into doing it, getting up at three and four o'clock in the morning to write five and six hours a day. And sometimes when my wife would take off on a business trip, I would write for a full day just to get this memoir done. So I was in the mode to write. Um, being a broadcaster, something happened in 1987 that affected America that people have forgotten. They've completely forgotten about it. Uh, my father got me in the radio business. So he and I spent time during the 1980s talking about what happened. And that's when Ronald Reagan, the president, vetoed the Fairness and Broadcasting Act, which included the Fairness Doctrine. And that was the rule that required equal time for contrasting points of view. Uh, in other words, once you take that rule out, lies become constant without debate. And hence you had the Rush Limbaugh show come on and he, produced a type of negative radio broadcasting that when you can't debate a lie and people just spew stuff, it changed America. So I wrote two books about that. The first one was the book that really my father and I really lived through this whole process. The second one I wrote for a female audience, much younger, because I believe that those are the ones who are gonna be able to change America. So that's where my writing came from and why I did it. What an interesting journey. Well, an interesting journey and, and how your audience is, is so different from your, your last two books. Your first, now, your memoir, what's the name of your memoir? The memoir is called Come Get Me, Mother. I'm Through. <laughs> you the know, reason... and how often do you want to say that, Mom, just come get me. I'm done. I'm done lifing. <laughs> well, I, I had a, because I was on the radio at night when in my young career, when I first started and got discovered to go to, um, to Miami, which is where I really began this thing. Uh, I kind of have to go back a couple of years real quick. Let me tell you that when I was 17 years old, my dad worked at the only radio station in my hometown. There was one. And they needed someone to come and run the God show on Sunday morning because no one wanted to play back last week's church services. They had everybody in town. They played them. It took like three hours. So they just needed a kid from high school. And my dad said, hey, they need somebody. So I went and I did it. But that little bit of radio education really got me motivated. I went to college to be a music uh, uh, major because I played the trumpet. Uh, but I, I wasn't in the music classes. I was in the radio classes because radio took over my life. I was there for two and a half years studying broadcasting, got my first full-time job in Knoxville, Tennessee. Now, I had different radio names because you couldn't call a guy Kim on the radio in the 1970s. So... One day, the boss was with the guy who did all the recordings. You hear the voice, the guy that says, this is Kim Radio, all hit music. You hear that one big voice, right? Well, that guy was working that day, putting everybody's voice tracks together. And my boss looked at a record, and he's, it was the Monster Mash. And the Monster Mash was written by a guy named Gary Paxton. So my boss said, okay, we're not going to call you Kim. We're going to call you Gary Paxton. So that was one of my first fake radio names because you can't be Kim on the radio. Right. 
when I got hired to my first full-time job in Knoxville, I'm driving across the country. I knew I was going to be on the radio at 10 o'clock at night, and it was the 70s, and I wanted to come up with a really cool radio name. So I called myself Night Smoke. I thought, man, when I get to my new job, I'm going to call myself Night Smoke. Now, this really happened. I drive up to the radio station, my brand new station in Knoxville. It's called 15Q. And I walk in, and the receptionist is sitting at the desk, and there's a big fat guy behind her. He's got curly hair, and he looks all disheveled. And I reached my hand out to the receptionist lady and I said, hello, ma'am, my name is Night Smoke. I'm your new nighttime DJ. And the guy behind her says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry. Well, here, that's where the, the story really happens. Kid Curry was a name they called me in high school as a joke. Back in the 70s, there was a TV show, Alias Smith and Jones. It was based on raindrops can fall and on my head, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid. Well, the two characters on that ABC TV show were Butch, uh, were Hannibal Hayes and Kid Curry. So because my friends always made jokes of my name all the time, they started calling me Kid in high school. So this guy says, well, if it isn't Kid Curry. And I said, I hate that name. <laughs> and he says, well, then I won't sign your check. And I said, Kid Curry it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... That, that really became my, the name that stuck to me and made me more unique than anybody in the radio business because there's only been one Kid Curry on the radio, and it was me. My style was so unique that it attached itself to me. And then when you talked about Kid Curry in America, there was the one guy you talked about. You could talk about a billion Bill Tanners because there's a bunch of Bill Tanners out there, but there was one Kid Curry. So it was a really, really good thing that happened to me. Um, and then, you know, the radio career just took off from there. I ended up working in Miami, uh, San Antonio, Washington, D.C., uh, Baltimore, back to Miami. And then my dad got sick and I went home to Colorado to take care of my dad for a couple of years. And then I went back to Miami and eventually I became the program director of Power 96 Radio. And it was the number one station in Miami. It actually... Uh, for the nine years I was the program director, it was the largest listening audience in the Southeast USA. It was that famous. So it's been a really good radio career, but I needed to tell that story along with the MS thing because that changed everything in my life. And it changed my brain. I mean, I, I tell my wife now, we look at it now as the best thing that ever happened to us, surprisingly enough, you know? Yeah, I've often... Because um, I too, just a few years, a couple years ago, was diagnosed with a rare form of diabetes, and not that it's MS, and I'm not, I don't, you know, don't experience what you're experiencing, but it was a life-altering, frightening time, and you know, my my health was going way, way downhill. I lost over thirty pounds, and I'm a tall, thin person, so to lose thirty pounds was not good for me my hair was falling out, all kinds of weird stuff. And it took almost a year for them to figure out what was wrong. And then they said, oh, you've got this rare form of diabetes. So now I am, you know, insulin dependent. And I, I often joke and say, hey, I'm still rolling. I just walk around with an insulin pen in each hand. That's all. You know? <laughs> in each hand. Because I, I take four shots a day and it's oh, two God. different kinds of insulin. Yeah. So you have to time everything around that. And you have to each day is different in how you physically feel. It's, it's amazing the, the change, but then also like you had just said, 
that you and your wife said, you know, and even earlier, you said you thought you were going to die. And that when you get a diagnosis like that, that's a lifelong thing. It's, you know, it's not yeah. going to go away. It does mess with your head and you, you get all these different thoughts and, you know, anxiety, depression, whatever it is that might come forth. But then in the midst of that, you also do see the blessings. And you mentioned that that in a strange way, where you're at now is probably one of the best things to happen. And I often wonder how closely people look at that. And if, and I don't know, I'm just talking for me. So if people say, I'll be like, I, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I have to sit down. I can feel my sugar dropping. They're like, oh, here, just eat a candy bar. No, no, really. And I have, cause I have a sensor. I have, there's all this stuff I have to do yeah. to maintain. And then you get these looks or, you know, questions <laughs> that you just look at the people going, what? And yeah. I'm sure you've gotten that. You know, maybe there you're people are looking at you and defining you of the disease state and not as and I can say this today because we're both the same name and not as Kim. Yeah. Well, you gotta understand uh, the real mental part for me was the simple fact that Kid Curry was a really famous DJ. And I, I got sidetracked on the name of the book, but I used to do a feature at night called a bed check. And five minutes before the end of my show or 10 minutes before the end of my show, I'd let little kids call in because my job on six to 10 o'clock at night was to capture the high school audience. So I put these little kids on and I'd say bed check and they'd come on, say some joke about their high school teacher or their basketball team. And I'd fire back a smart ass remark and or they'd make a joke about their mom and I'd fire back something else. And bed check became real famous and it was a real click. Um, so at the end of my bed check, I would say, okay, that's the end of the show. Come get me, mother. I'm through because the name Kid Curry meant I was a kid. Come get me, mother. I'm through. And you can't see me. You don't know how old I am. Right. So it was a real feature. That's why I named the book, Come Get Me, Mother. I'm Through. But then Kid Curry was a famous DJ in, in Miami three times, uh, San Antonio, Washington, D.C., Baltimore. So people always wanted to be close to Kid Curry. I mean, I'd go into a restaurant, I'd get real nice seats. Uh, I'd get free tickets to concerts from record companies. Uh, then when I became program director, and I was program director of KTSA in San Antonio, which back in those days was one of the most famous radio stations in that part of the country. And when I became program director of Power 96, that was a legendary radio station run by a genius that everybody knows in the business. His name is Bill Tanner. I threw his name out a minute ago. Bill was one of the geniuses of the radio business. And eventually I became the program director of that radio station. And it was more successful than even the genius had made it. So people always wanted to be close to Kid Curry. But when Kid Curry suddenly has to have a cane, and then Kid Curry suddenly has to have crutches, and then Kid Curry's in a wheelchair, people don't want to be close to Kid Curry. And so for 33 years, Everybody wanted to get, hey, let's go. Here, look, it's Kid Curry. Hey, kid, what's up? And suddenly it's like, uh, I go into a restaurant or something like that, and people just move back and not even make eye contact. I roll into the, in the grocery store in my wheelchair. People move back and not make eye contact. So it took me years to figure out how to deal with that. Um, and then, surprisingly enough, the wheelchair was, my, was, was the fixer. Um, I... I remember the first time I was out in public in a wheelchair. First of all, my wife will always make sure I have everything I need to be a normal human being. 
And when it came time after falling like 10 times, the doctor said, you've got to get in a wheelchair. So my wife went out and got me a really cool wheelchair. And so we roll up. The first time I'm in public, we're having a, it was a holiday. It was a summertime. It was a, it was a white party. And I've actually been to P. Diddy's white parties. But in Little Canyon City, Colorado, my wife was a realtor. And the guy who headed the real uh, the real estate company decided to have a white party at the pool in Canyon City. Remember the station that had, I mean, the town that had one radio station also had one golf course. So there was this party. They were having a white party. And it was our first time me showing up in a wheelchair. And so, man, people are like, hey, how you doing? About, about everything's fine. All of a sudden, the, the boss grabs his cup and goes, and everyone turns around. And I see nothing but butts. <laughs> and I'm going, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Because this is the first time that happened to me. So yeah, there is humor involved in being Kid Curry now. Although Kid Curry is now Kim Curry because Kid Curry is long, long gone. But it took me a while to figure it out. And then I realized that, you know, the same Kid Curry that would walk into a room and everybody would go, ooh. Now, when I roll into a room, everybody goes, but you know what? I take over the room. I'm the first one to say hello. I don't have to be, I can be the nicest guy on the planet. I can talk about a lot of things, as you can tell, Kim. I, mm -hmm. It's tough to shut me up. <laughs> I just control it now. And so I've gone from being Kid Curry, the famous radio DJ, to that guy in the wheelchair who just happens to be a really cool guy. So... It took it was, a while. And it, it's it, well, and it sounds like it's it, well, an interesting journey for for anybody that's that's in that you know, and not everybody's journey is the same. Obviously, now I I want to touch on how you said you know you were known in your area, the famous kid kid Curry. You were known for that. You were recognized for that. And then in that span, you were Kim Curry in the wheelchair. So there's that little in between point that you, you said, you know, it worked on your mind. How, how did it work on your mind? Well, just like it, it would. I mean, you know, when you're the guy that everyone pays attention to and suddenly people just don't. Um, and, you know, there was something comforting about being a, you know, there were, when I was young, there were three forms of entertainment, <laughs> movies, television, and radio. And the radio guys would move up to TV and the TV guys would move up to, to, to movies. And I did television commercials for the Disney people. Uh, I, I did a bunch of different different type of commercials for the radio stations I worked for. Uh, I, I may have made it on TV eventually. In fact, the morning show lady I had in Miami actually ended up on the TV in, in LA. So it was happening a lot, even still when it, in the 1990s. It doesn't happen now because all that's changed. But it, it, it was a real thing to where, and I also had gone home to my hometown. You know, I had left all this big show business thing and, you know, going to the Grammys. I used to have a boy band. Our, our boy band's lead singer was Tom Jones's illegitimate child. <laughs> Want to talk about that? No. That's <laughs> very that's just incredibly, book. that's an incredibly interesting little tidbit. In the book. <laughs> Okay, which book? That's is that the same book we're talking? Come get me, mother. I'm through. That's the okay. Name. Same book, folks. I know you can't yeah. see it. You can only hear us. We're still talking about. He's throwing out little 
little nuggets <laughs> from uh, Come Get Me Mother, I'm Through. His yeah. That's your first book that you wrote, correct? That is the memoir. Yeah, that's the one that got me started. So. Okay. Now, okay. all right, I'm going to jump back again. I'm going to jump okay. back again because you didn't answer the question I wanted answered. Okay. <laughs> okay. Mentally, you had that time frame between famous Kid Curry to Kim Curry in a wheelchair. Mentally, what was the what what type of struggles did you have mentally? So someone might be sitting out there listening right now that's just been diagnosed with something. And they're like thinking, like you said earlier, you're like, you thought you were gonna die. Um, and I know how I felt when I was diagnosed. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is gonna change my entire life in how I eat, look at food, and how I literally do everything. And it's a little depressing. And anxiety causing. So did you experience that? And I'm, I can only assume you did to a certain level. What, what, how did you experience and how did you deal with that? How did you face, maybe it was anger, depression, anxiety. How did you face that? The personal deep parts. Um, I'm a dad, I'm a dad of four children. Uh, I've got uh, children from two women and one baby mama. Uh, because I made lots of money, I could afford to maintain everybody and everybody loves everybody. Um, that scared me because I was suddenly going to leave my children, who I love very much, um, my wife, uh, who now I've been married to over 22 years. Uh, we've been married at five years at that point. And uh, we had just had a child two years prior. And uh, that scared me because I've got a kid, a young one. Now she's 19. Uh, but uh, that scared me. Um, I didn't like I, what another thing that scared me was, you know, you're in this great career and everything's going fine. And then suddenly you're like, wait a minute, how what's the income going to be? Uh, because, you know, you still have to maintain and I've got a chronic disease and I need things. So what are we going to do for money? Fortunately, I had signed a long-term insurance contract, uh, insurance claim uh, thing uh, during my radio thing. So I, I ended up having an income, but you know I had to go through that and figure out that, wait a minute, when I turn 65, that's going to dry up. That's going to stop. That worried me. But it really changed. As I say, as I say to you that it, it was the best thing that ever happened to us, uh, my wife was my date at the Grammys. Um, and then when I got diagnosed, we moved back to my hometown, took the money that we had, went out and purchased some properties, did some fixing and flipping, took about a year for the house to sell. And it was right at the very beginning of the great, the next, of the last recession we had. It was the 19, I mean, it was 2008 when everything crashed on us. Um, so she didn't like the way the realtors were, were, were taking care of her. Uh, she went out and got a real estate license. And that was what, 2008, 2007? Fast forward to today, my wife is an international business real estate consultant, now no longer sells houses. She's in the office across from me. She has a screen like I've got, eight clients on it, and she's going through their, their P&Ls, their, their, their hiring process. Are you, are you, again, right now, of course, selling houses is difficult, so she's coaching these people. So uh, we've taken this woman who, who basically was telling me what to do every day because running the life of Kid Curry was a very difficult thing. I was always flying places. I was at meetings. I was meeting record companies. I would get my schedule every day for my wife. And now we've turned this around. And this woman is, is 
and and you know I went from living in a normal home in America to now I'm on a 10 acre horse ranch and we got horses and dogs and this just happened yeah. <laughs> since, since, since the kid took off and now she's doing all the dang work. So, you know, so mentally it, it scared me. I had to come up with, with, and it angered me. And I can tell you that it, it, it angered, it, it, it stressed our relationship because I was, and there were, I think I fell like 50 times during a series of, of, I mean, I couldn't stand up and it was stressing me out. Uh, I don't like the fact that my wife has to work so hard uh, to make sure that I have everything I need. I mean, even the hand controls for the car, that's not an insurance thing. If you want to drive, I can drive. I drive with my hands, but but they don't give you that. You have to go out and buy that. I live in a three-story property. Uh, I've got one of these seats that you sit in, and it takes me from level to level, from first to third floor. That's a $30,000 investment. You don't get any tax breaks for that. It costs to be disabled in America. If I want to go out and get, get into my car, I have to have a wheelchair in my car so that I can get out of the car and roll around and do things. Um, they don't give me any tax breaks for that. I get one wheelchair. It's the electric wheelchair that's on the main floor of the house. And that's the one I use on the main floor. But everything else we've had to buy probably, a, well, I've, I've had to change the entrance to our home mm -hmm. so that I can get into the house in my wheelchair because nobody has ramps. This is, this is the problem that people like me and you and other people out there that could be listening to don't understand. Nobody gets this until you're here. Right. And, and when you're here, you're, it angers you. And you think to yourself, you know, you know, any of you out there could end up like she and I like that it can happen like that mm -hmm. i didn't expect this to happen to me it just happened so it's it's a difficult situation to be in and i can only encourage the young people of america between the ages of 18 and 38 years old to get active because you guys can fix this whole thing you've got enough voting block out there to change it all get us good health care you can change the regulations on the client, the, the climate change, you're, it's in your grasp. You've got to get out and vote because as I always tell people, I used to do podcasts. And <laughs> so young people, do you like the plate? Are you, do you like eating off the plate your parents and grandparents are feeding you? Because your parents and grandparents have given you this America, young people. Are you okay with this? If you're not okay with this, you got to get out and you got to register and you got to vote because nobody's going to save it but you. And those that age range, yes, and I completely agree, that age range that you're talking about, they seem to forget that they too will be our ages. Yeah, oh yeah. You know, God willing, God willing, they well, too will be in their 50s and 60s and 70s and very well could be, you know, diagnosed with something that's life-altering and you you know i wouldn't i wouldn't want to look in the future and see my daughter having to go through what i went through just to try and get diagnosed and figure out what was happening with me well, you know and everyone's saying kim you look awful you've got to quit losing weight what are you doing i'm like i don't know what's happening with my body <laughs> you know and, and uh, with, with you i like how you said you know anger and fear heck yeah oh anger oh i was mad and scared uh, scared because 
you know, it was funny. I, I, I was in the, the doctor who diagnosed me with multiple sclerosis, Dr. Calagua in Miami. Um, it was in the very beginning, the first or second thing I was in, she was still trying to come up with the diagnosis. Uh, I was in the office one day and some guy came out and because it's Miami, everybody speaks Spanish and I understand Spanish a lot more than I speak, but my wife is Cuban. So, you know, she comes out with this guy and he's, ah, I can't believe I'm taking this medicine. No, I can't believe I'm not getting better. I can't believe this, you're, whatever you're doing, is not working. I'm gonna get another doctor. And she turns around, she says, well, you're not taking your medicine. So what do you expect? And I, and with my wife told me that, I said, okay, well, I'm gonna take my medicine. And, and fortunately, my medicine, the medicine change that my doctor gave me in that vitamin D intake leveled my condition off. I can tell you that right now, the reason I keep moving around is because my legs are seizing. I'm in constant seizure with my legs and my arms. They freak out, my, my right eye comes in and out. But at least I'm not getting any worse. I've learned to live with this. I've learned to live with what's happened to me. And it, 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 you can see it when you're around me that there's something wrong with this guy, but I'm not getting any worse. Thank you, Dr. Bowling. You'll notice on your television screen, you've been seeing a lot of MS commercials, haven't you? I actually don't watch TV. Okay, well, that's good. But if anybody's out there listening to this, <laughs> think about it. You, I see them all the time and it makes me wonder, man, did that many people in this country have multiple sclerosis? And the truth is, yes. Yeah. They just don't know what they're seeing, what they're, what's happening to them because it comes and it goes. I had seizures all through my life. When I was in Washington, D.C., I was there during the Reagan administration. I had this, the feature on my show, Bed Check, made me famous at the White House. I got a call, I was doing my, because it was a thing for kids, but in right. Washington, D.C. it became famous for political reasons. Oh. I hated that. But I, I used to get a call from a guy who called himself Frank DeFramer, and I'm over here at the White House, and the president was just in my office, and he loves your radio show. And I go, ah, ha, 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 and I'd hang up and go to the next call. Because I didn't right. <laughs> So the next night, the same thing would happen. Hey, man, it's Frank DeFramer, and the president says, I'm like, yeah, okay, sure, hang up. And then so two or three times more, I, I stopped him. I picked the phone up. So wait a minute, because the bed check was never done live. It was always recorded. So just because everybody probably knew that anyway. But anyway, so I picked up the phone. I said, who are you? What is this Frank DeFramer? So he says, my name is Frank. I'm the framer of the portraits at the White House. And because someone has to maintain them, that's me. And the president comes into my office in the morning and at night, I'm at night and listens to you do bed chat. That was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> so fast forward, I leave DC, I'm in, I'm in Baltimore. Girlfriend I'm hanging out with, her grandma shows up. Well, you know Ronald Reagan, you can get me in the White House, let's go take a tour. So now I've got to call the White House. Uh, yeah, can I speak to Frank DeFramer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Frank, hang on, I'll get him. I'm like, what? And sure enough, <laughs> hey, uh, this is Frank. Uh, Frank, it's Kid Curry. <gasps> Kid, how you doing? Where you been? Well, I'm in Baltimore now. Da -da 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 -da. So, da -da -da. so I said, listen, I need a tour of the White House. So come on over. When you come, just, just what, let me know what day, and I'll tell all the guys that you're coming. Just tell them you're coming to see me, and they'll get you to me. So this is after Reagan's assassination attempt. There is still no changes in security around the White House. Wow. Crazy. So I'm driving around the White House and I see a road that looks to me like it goes right up next to the door. So 
<laughs> start going up this door. And all of a sudden, these guys are coming out with guns. <laughs> they're pointing at me and they're like, I get this guy. Get I'm like, wait, wait, wait. I slow the car down. I got grandma on the back and the girlfriend over here. The adrenaline stress is a major factor in multiple sclerosis. I'm talking to you now and because I'm under stress talking to you, that's why my legs are freaking out and I'm having trouble breathing. I don't know if you can hear it. That's the stress of MS. So I'm in the car, I drive up, I stop the car. All of a sudden, everything flushes over me. I lose vision in my right eye. My hand goes like this. I open the car door and I go to get out and I fall out. And they're oh. all pointing their guns at me. I'm like, no, no, kid, come in here for Frank to Framer. Frank, your kid, kid, hey, what's up? He told me you were coming on. So it's like, oh my God. But that was an, an, an MS an exacerbation. And wow. so this has occurred to me my whole life. It just came on in 2005 so strong and it didn't stop. So it was the change of that medicine and the vitamin D. And my doctor's book is called Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis. They'll teach you all about vitamin D. Oh, that's awesome. So say that again. Say that again. The name of the book and the author. Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis. And it's with my doctor, Dr. Alan Bowling, MD, PhD. And when he was writing this book, I, I had just become a patient. And, he, and so I would go to his office and he'd tell me, I need you to do this. I need you to eat healthy. You can't drink much. You've got to. And I'm, so I'm doing those things, doctor. I'm already there. I need you to go out and get alternative therapy. I want to make sure you're getting um, that you're getting uh, all the all the all the uh, stretching you need. I'm doing that, doctor. And he says, "Well, you're doing everything I'm, I'm writing about in my book." So my doctor and I became very very close friends. And he wrote the uh, he wrote a forward in my memoir. Come get me, mother. I'm through. Oh, so, awesome! How wonderful. So, Dr. Alan Bowling, Optimal Health with Multiple Sclerosis. I will definitely, folks, in the show notes, the link for that will be in there because I find that fascinating. I'll probably go and check that book out too. Um, hey, it's always good to keep yourself, to keep learning. Oh, to yes, keep learning. <clears throat> um, Here, let me tell you, you just said that. Here's what I'm doing this month. Actually, this year. Two years ago, Memorial Day, I was watching uh, Nora O'Donnell, CBS Evening News. She asked, uh, if, if you used to play uh, an instrument, get that instrument out at three o'clock on Memorial Day, play taps. So I thought, well, you know what? Next year, I'm going to do that. So I went out and, no, I didn't win out. I got on Amazon <laughs> and bought a little fake trumpet. And I kind of practiced for almost a year and I kind of buzzed the, the mouthpiece and thought I was ready on Memorial Day. I failed. I couldn't get taps out. And that's embarrassing to a guy who used to be a pretty damn good trumpet player. And I went live on Facebook. And I had some musician friends who are extremely talented listening on purpose because they knew it was me and that I would pull it off. And I failed. That was last Memorial Day. In November, this and, and I, I thought to myself at that point, I'm going to come back and do this. I got to do this because I can't let my friends down. I can't do this. So in November, I got the biggest royalty check I'd gotten on my books. And so I thought, okay, this is enough money to go out and buy a real trumpet. So in November, I bought a real trumpet on Amazon. And in December, I started practicing like, oh, 10 minutes a day. That turned into 10 minutes twice a day, three times a day. So now I've learned, and this is 50 years since I picked up a trumpet. 
So I've had to go back and learn how to do this all over again. So when you say learn things, find something you've never thought you could do. I never thought I could play the trumpet again. And frankly, because there's lessons on Google, you can Google lessons and there's some talented trumpet players out there giving great lessons. I'm better now in the since November to today than I was when I graduated high school. Now, the difference is I can only do it for 10 minutes <laughs> because I'm only I'm stopping after 10 minutes. But I've done something I never thought I'd ever do again. And on Memorial Day at 3 p.m., I will be playing taps and I will get it right this time. I promise. So that is yeah. so awesome. That is and tap what a you know, Memorial Day. I'm a veteran, so oh all of those days mean a lot to me. I'm a Navy brat. My dad was a 20-year veteran uh, in the uh, Korean War. Uh, wow. So wow. See? Small world. And that, too, is in the memoir. Come get me, mother. I'm through. I'm through. <laughs> now <laughs> I have to, now I need to copy the book. <laughs> okay. Definitely going to have to check it out. Definitely going to have to check it out. Time has flown. This has been such an awesome, an awesome conversation. And there's so much more I want to ask you and learn more about because there's a lot of stuff there's a lot more stuff to unpack here in your journey that we never even got to so if you want in a few months time i'd love to have you back on my pleasure kim um let me know when you're ready hey we're gonna have you back on maybe a little after may after memorial day so we can see how that taps went <laughs> that's go good i'm not doing that twice not doing it twice. You know, it's funny because they've got these these lessons will teach you how to get to the really high range. I'm like, hmm, I couldn't do this when I was in high school. What's going on? And I was in actually, I made it to college. I went to the University of Southern Colorado. I don't know. I think it's awesome. I love that part of your story. 10 minutes. Hey, 10 minutes is 10 minutes, man. I think it's great. I think it's great. Thank you so much for being my guest on Let Fear Bounce. It's just been just a, a wonderful conversation. And I hope that uh, you out there listening, that you got a lot because he was tossing out nuggets throughout throughout this conversation, folks. So I hope that you were catching them. And speaking of nuggets, Kim, I would love if you would share a nugget of hope with the listeners. I like to round out the show with that. So if you could toss out a nugget of hope that someone could, you know, tuck away and carry with, carry with them for the rest of their day. Two things website krcurry.com for all the book information krcurry.com secondly when you're when you're faced with problems i know that sometimes people find different avenues religion different religions i believe that we as human beings are built in our dna to solve these problems um, if you will focus hard enough on your brain, calm yourself down enough, you can come up with solutions. And I had to come up with a bunch of different solutions from being this guy to being this guy. And I had to come comfortable with myself. And at the same time, I had to do this encouraging the partner that I knew was smart enough. And all I needed to do was let her go do what she wanted to do. And she could do it. And she has surpassed anything I ever imagined. So open your brain to solutions. They're there. It's, it's in your DNA to be good. It's in your DNA to, to, to work hard. It's in your DNA to give to people. You've got to find it. So go find it. Take some time and go find it. Awesome. 
Thank you very much. And folks, I hope that you grabbed that little nugget that he just tossed out there to you. And we will have him on again because there's all kinds of stuff. We got two other books to talk about, by golly. Again, share your website. And if you've got social media, if you're on that, or if your website is the easiest way to, to get to see what's going on, share that again, if you would, please, real quick. krcurry.com. And I'm on Facebook at krcurry, the author. You can track me down at krcurry, the author on Facebook. All right. Awesome. I think that's also on Instagram too, but again, I am tech dumb. <laughs> I, I, so I always just say, just go to my website. You can find everything out that I'm doing yeah. on there. <laughs> I'll start doing that. Thank you. <laughs> All right, folks. Kim Curry has been my special guest today. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening yet again and spending just a small part of your day with myself and my special guest. This is Kim Langling, your host of Let Fear Bounce. Everybody be well, stay well, and be blessed. Thanks again, folks, for tuning in to another episode of Let Fear Bounce. Couldn't keep doing this without you. If you want to catch up on more episodes, find out what it is that I'm doing outside of this podcast thing, you can go to my website at kimlanglingauthor.com. 